So before the episode starts, I have to talk about the whole situation I find myself in with the women's hockey team. And really, at the end of the day, I have a job to do in the broadcast booth, whether it's as a play-by-play announcer or a color commentator. Um, as the latter, I'm supposed to bring analysis into the game, whether it's positive or negative. I was a little too harsh on one player during one game, and I did apologize to her both over the phone and in person. But the idea that I'm the reason she's no longer on the team is so out of line, it's actually a joke. Uh, and as for other players on the team that are upset with my analysis on the stream, the answer is simple. Don't take what I say to heart. There's a reason why you're a Division One hockey player, and I'm not. Um, or turn the audio off, but to call me an asshole and tell me that I've been one forever is really a tough look, especially if you're one of the players that's only been here for two years. You really haven't experienced what it was like before COVID, and I think I've got a couple people, not a ton, but a couple people in my corner that, that can back me on it. Um, I think that in my four years in Ringe, I've shown that I'm always on the side of the hockey teams, whether it's driving hours to away games or putting in hours of work to prepare for broadcasts or even doing this podcast. I've put a lot of effort into what I do and a lot of thought goes into what I do and, and you know, kind of the situation is kind of a, a shitty situation right now. But with all that being said, I do see this as a job, whether it's the podcast or the broadcasts. And, and while I do think I've been able to create some friendships, with a lot of the players on both the teams, the men's and the women's teams over the past few years. The goal has always been and, and will always be to get a broadcasting job after graduation. So I'm not going to stop doing the broadcasts. I'm not going to stop doing the analysis. I think the, the fact that I played hockey for so long, refed hockey and coached hockey for so long my entire life, uh, it means I have you know that insight and I have a little bit more knowledge than the other people in the broadcast booth at Franklin Pierce when it comes to this sport. So I'm not going to stop doing it. I'm not going to stop the analysis and you know, turn the audio off or do something because as much as you're here to play hockey, uh, I'm here to call hockey and get a job after graduation. So I think I've made some friends. If it means I'm going to lose some friends, then that's it. But like I said, I got a job to do. The goal is to get one after graduation, and this is what I got to do to do it. So uh, let's hop into the episode. How's it going, everybody? Welcome into Season 3, Episode 2 of the Pierce Hockey Podcast. Ezra Janello with you. Uh, we were supposed to have a couple of the guys from the booth join us this week on the episode, but a couple of scheduling problems. I mean, we even pushed the episode back, the recording back, until Friday. So we're in the middle of the weekend and play for the girls. I actually just got home from their one nothing win over St. Mike's. And we'll talk about that a little later, but it's just going to be me today. Nice, quick little episode, probably under 20 minutes, to be honest. So uh, since the last episode, the guys have started their season. They're 0-4 overall, 0-2 in the conference. The girls, they went 2-0-1 and 1-0 in the conference. So they now sit at 5-4-1 overall and 2-1 in the alliance. So, yeah, the guys, the tough start to the season. I guess we'll start with them, and we'll start with an 8-1 loss versus Snoo. Just a tough day on the back end. They allowed 18 shots in the first period. Wally gets pulled, 54 shots in total. Just a, a tough day. George Thurston, who two years ago in 2019 and 2020, uh, I, we labeled him in the broadcast booth the Raven Killer. Only, only in 
the Jason Richie Ice Arena. The kid just finds a way to find the back of the net. He had two goals and an assist, so he continues his success uh, in Winch. Uh, and then I think that the biggest stat to look at is the 0 for 8 on the power play. Whenever you get the Ravens and the Penman playing a game, it's going to be physical, going to be a lot of penalties, uh, and, and they had plenty of chances on the power play. We just couldn't, couldn't figure it out. First game of the season, you're missing some, some key guys out of the lineup. You got defensemen playing forward, which we'll talk about, but just not, not great on the man advantage, not great on the back end. Uh, Cody Rumsey, he scored his first this season. Uh, Lawler had an assist on it. It was a shorthanded goal. Those two buzz on and off the ice. I'm really excited to see what they do. You know, they're only sophomores, so they got two more years after this one. They're going to do some pretty decent things uh, in the crimson and gray uniforms. So after that, so they start the season 0-1. They go down the next day to Stonehill. First matchup uh, since the NE10 championship a couple years ago. A couple guys still on the roster. Of course, those fifth years and the, uh, the juniors are still on the roster from that championship game. Uh, one of those guys, Gorbs, he net a, he net a pair of goals. Uh, you know, second game of the season, you want to start the year off on a good note, and he does that, two goals. Uh, the power play went one for three, so that's actually pretty decent, 33%. That's a good power play percentage. Uh, very different from that 0 for 8 the night before. Uh, so that's not bad. Dom Norris was the goal scorer on the power play. He picked a corner, went posting in. Uh, but Stonehill, they grabbed a shorthanded goal. So not not ideal. You know, one for three looks good. But the the special team's struggles to start the year were definitely evident. Uh, and then Rums got an assist on Dom's goal. So he started the season two games, two points. Like I said with Gorbs, you want to start the year on the right note, and that's exactly what Rums is doing. Uh, yeah, so then they return home to Winch for two games, Tuesday and Thursday. The first one against Riviera, the second Worcester State. Uh, that first game was a 3-1 loss. They played pretty well. Actually, they played very well in that opening period, but two quick strike goals from the Raiders in the second period put them down. Uh, Gorbs net his thir- nets his third of the season. It was a very nice passing play. It was right in front of us. I got a nice call on the goal, um, but Lads... Or sorry, Foley below the goal line, below the net, caused a turnover, kind of made the Riviera skater lose his, his, uh, his edge. Throws it in front for Lads, one touch to Gorbs, one touch to the back of the net. Those three, they're on a line. They're on that top line for the Ravens to start the year, and they're going to find some success. Lads actually, he scored on Thursday too. So that line is just, they're doing pretty good. It just wasn't enough to get back into it. They were outshot 33-18. to 18. The second period in which they gave up two goals, they were outshot 19-5. to five. But I think Wally, who got the start in that game, I think he looked very good. Obviously, he faced 33 shots. Uh, one goal, so in the 3-1 loss, was an empty netter. So he only faced 32 shots. And he made 30 saves on 32 shots. That's well above a 900 save percentage. That's kind of the baseline for a good goalie. And, and so I had no doubt in my mind after that 8-1 loss and that tough four-goal first period that he was going to return to his normal self, and he did exactly that. Uh, despite the loss. So then they came back two days later, Thursday, they lose 4-3 against Worcester State. And, I mean, it was a couple of, w- couple of winless teams. Worcester State entered the game at 0-4, Franklin Pierce 0-3. And it was looking good for a lot of it. Rudy buried his first career goal, and the stream jumped and missed the goal, to be honest with you. I was on the call. I, I can't watch, like, the health of the stream. I know some people will know what I'm talking about. Some people won't. I can't know if it's lagging or... If the internet connection's bad or what happened, I don't even know what happened, but the stream jumped, so we can't 
I, I don't know where the film is. I don't know. Like I spoke to Wally about it. He didn't get a chance to watch it. Uh, but we like legit have a kid sitting upstairs that's supposed to be watching that. So I have no idea what happened. Um, but Rums grabbed an assist on the goal. So he has three points in four games. And then Nico, in just his second game of the season, he got an assist. So you love to see it. Nico was missing for the first couple of games out with uh, out on the IR. You're still missing Junior, uh, two pretty big-name guys for the Ravens. And actually, on Tuesday, Nico was on that fourth line. And then Millerick, of course, scrambled the, ra- the lines around a little bit. Uh, but then on Tuesday or Thursday, he starts the game on the second line. So I, I don't know if the Tuesday game was just to get his feet under him, wasn't playing as many shifts. I know he hadn't been practicing, he hadn't been skating. Uh, but that Thursday game, he looks pretty good, gets on the score sheet with an assist. And then Dave Cambria, he picks a nasty corner, nasty shot, unreal, laser beam, top corner, past the goalie's glove, his first career goal. And he's in a, in a weird situation. You know, Dave Cambry, you say that, you think of a defenseman, but because Junior's out of the lineup and the depth isn't necessarily there this year with the Ravens, he's playing forward. And he's, he's already a pretty offensive defenseman on the back end. He's not someone that feels uncomfortable joining the rush and leading the rush in the offensive zone. So it's not super unnatural as if you would have put, like, Paul or Gags onto the offensive end. But, yeah, he's, he's definitely not playing his natural position. I was talking to the guys in the broadcast, you know, there's, there's just certain motions that you go through when you're playing in a wing position or a center position in a, in a defensive position. And to switch that up at the speed of college hockey at this level is such a different feeling. And he's kind of taken it in stride and he's finding success. He found the back of the net. It's something that you love to see. And, and I know everybody's looking forward for junior to come back, but Honestly, if Day is going to keep finding the back of the net and scoring goals, then let him do it. Uh, and then I mentioned earlier, Lads, he scored his first of the season, Gorbs and Steven Jacobs with the assists. Uh, but it just it wasn't enough. Kind of two late goals. One was on the power play. A tough interference call with a minute and a half to go. The Raiders take the, uh, the, net, the goalie out of the net. And, yeah, they find the back of the net and then kind of still shell-shocked from the 3-3 tie. They come down and get a redirection from a player cutting towards the net only at the face-off circle, uh, and it, it changes up on Carbon and turns to a 4-3 loss with 16 seconds to go in regulation. So Adam played really well. Carzy had some really big saves. He looked great. You, you really can't, and you, like, you, you really can't put anything from that loss on him. He looked really good. I think it really speaks to the skill that the Ravens have in the net. It's something that you're not shocked to see when you have a former goalie and Coach Millerick uh, as the bench boss. But Wally is great. Kyle Martin's great. And Carzy's great. And then you, you also have Brogan McDonald, too. He's coming off some, uh, some injuries. He's getting back on the ice real soon. I'm really excited to see if he can get some playing time this year. I think he's going to impress a lot of people early on in his days as a Raven. You look at the, at the netminders. Uh, no matter what, Wally can't come back. He's out of eligibility after this year. He's playing on his COVID eligibility right now. And then it's Kyle Martin and Carzy. You don't know kind of what's going to happen with them in the future. So, yeah, it's it's Brogan McDonald. It looks like the future of Ravens net mining right now. Up next for the guys, they go to post on Tuesday, and then Thursday they head up to St. Mike's. So what's usually a couple of overnight trips are just one and done. So you want to see the bus legs kind of, get shaken off. You want to see them get to a quick start. We'll talk about that a little later. 
So we'll transition to the guys, or to the girls, sorry. Uh, and their first game since last episode was a 5 nothing win over Castleton. I was actually at the volleyball match that day. There's an opening in the athletic comms office, and when someone leaves, someone has to fill those shoes. And I'm by no means doing a full-time job. I think Janik is swamped with so much work. But I think he's looked towards me to fill some of those responsibilities, and that's doing live stats for sports that aren't necessarily his or when he has to be at the rink. So I was at volleyball. I had to miss the 5 nothing win over Castleton. The only Division three opponent of the season, Ava buried a pair and had an assist for three points. Jenna Reese found the back of the net. Reese Diener and Brooke Remington also scored. And then Emmy, uh, she earned the shutout, making 16 saves. So you love to see her just do Emmy things. I mean, you talk about Wally and that 8-1 loss and four goals in the first period. Well, same thing with Emmy in the first game of the season, a 9-1 loss out at Mercyhurst. I had no doubt in my mind that, you know, she's a great goalie. She's actually probably the best goalie. Not probably. She is the best goalie in the history of this program. No doubt in my mind she was going to do some big things. So happy to see her get her first shutout of the season. The only negative to take away from the game is the fact that the power play went 0 for 4. Uh, Special teams is something that both the guys and the girls have struggled on this year. But it's still early in the season, especially for the guys. So I'm not really too worried about it. But you got to take the positives and the negatives out of a 5 nothing win. And, and that's that one negative that you can take. Next up, they skated to a 3-3 tie versus UNH. And UNH is the first Division I opponent that the girls played back in 2019-2020. Uh, late September, going up to, I forget the name of the rank, the Whittemore Center. Going up to the Whittemore Center, they lose 6-0, 6-1, something like that. So the fact that they tied 3-3 is really, it shows you kind of the strides that this program has taken in two years. Brooke added another goal. Uh, so that was her third of the season, I believe, at that point. Uh, but it tied the game heading to the first intermission. And then UNH scores a pair in the second period, which means that the Ravens were trailing 3-1 heading to the third. And you don't love the fact that they were trailing 3-1 heading to the third, but you love the fact that they were trailing 3-1 and then tied the game and, and forced a tie. Jenna with a pair of goals to do just that, uh, including one of them. I think it was the second one. It was a beautiful passing play with Becca. The two of them, they both have nice hands. They both have good vision and good speed. So when you get the two of them on the ice together in a two-on-one or two-on-o, whatever it was, situation, uh, you're, you're going to get something nice coming out of it. So Jenna finished with three points, two goals, and an assist. Cassidy had two assists. That's someone who we mentioned a lot on the broadcast and in the podcast studio. Just, you know, all over the ice, going to the wall, just every shift. So we love to see her get rewarded on the score sheet. And then just maybe an hour or so ago, at the at the uh, the ice arena, one nothing win over St. Mike's, and it really should not have been a one nothing game. That St. Mike's goalie played out of this world. Uh, we the girls outshot the Purple Knights forty eight to eleven. Emmy gets another shutout. Like I said, you you have no doubt in your mind that she's the greatest goalie in the history of the program. She's going to do her thing, and that's her second shutout on the season. Gino scored the game's only goal in the third period. Um, yeah, I mean, she's a great hockey player. She was in the talks for a lot of awards, or I know specifically one award in Minnesota high school hockey uh, last year. So as a freshman, she's going to continue to find the back of the net and find her name on the score sheet. And again, the only negative from a one nothing win, uh, well, only only team negative, really. There are a couple of things that you could, you could look at, but really the only thing is an 0-4 on the power play. But you can only 
count that as half a negative because the power play looked really good, actually. A lot of opportunities, really great. And, yeah, just got to find the back of the net. As soon as they do, the floodgates are going to open. You're coming off of having Bridget Prentice in the last full season of the NEWHA schedule, and she was a big part of the power play and the man advantage. And you, you got to figure it out without her. And I think they're going to do just that. So they're not even terrible right now. 13.9% on the power play. They're, they're going to figure it out. They're going to start finding the back of the net. The penalty kill, though, 92.3 on the PK for the girls. That might be, if not, it, it has to be the best penalty kill percentage in the conference. So very happy to see that. The guys, on the other hand, 5.6 on the power play, 5.6%. That one power play goal, Dom Norris. uh, it's too early in the season. Same thing with the 61.9% on the penalty kill. It's too early in the season to let statistics and percentages play a huge role. It's four games into the year, so it's time's running out for you to figure it out, but you know what they're trying to do. You know the passing lanes they're trying to exploit and open up, and you know the, the people they're trying to use on the power play and the man advantage. So I have no doubt in my mind, just like the girls, once they get one, the floodgates are going to open up and they're going to find success. So I'm really excited to see. We mentioned the guys. They head down to post on Tuesday, and then on Thursday they head up to St. Mike's for the girls. The next game is tomorrow, Saturday the 13th, 7 p.m. puck drop at the Jason Ritchie Ice Arena to close out the two-game set against St. Michael's. And then next weekend, Friday and Saturday, they head down to post for a two-game set, 4 p.m. on Friday, 3.30 p.m. on Saturday. It's going to be some great hockey for Franklin Pierce hockey programs in this next coming week to close out November. But until then, this is the Pierce Hockey Podcast, Season 3, Episode 2. I'll be in the booth tomorrow night against St. Mike's. And then, of course, we get a little break on the home broadcast with no home games next week. We'll see if we can drive out to uh, to one of them, whether it's post on Tuesday, Friday, or Saturday, or even head up to St. Mike's. I told Janik, I want to get to every rink in the conference. So... St. Mike's post, I know post and Southern or post and Sacred Heart play in the same rink right now. Sacred Heart is building uh, a new facility. I don't know that it's going to be done while I'm here. So it's a little unfortunate, but LIU, especially in December when I'm already at home, maybe I go and I call Saturday the 4th for the girls on my way back up to work a basketball game. So we'll see. Uh, but until then, enjoy the rest of your night. And this is the Pierce Hockey Podcast.